0: Hey, we're among friends here, so what are some of the things just that you learned new this week? Somebody raise your hand. I learned, finish that sentence, I learned what? What was that? Yeah, don't drive on campus, yeah. (laughs) You could go so many ways. You know what I love about potholes? They were made in the USA. Can I have an amen? Okay, Okay. what else have we learned this week? Anybody learned anything? It's not a real sharp group today. Okay. Stand up and show them what you did here. Yeah, she broke her foot, so she learned not to step in that hole. That's what she said, not... Okay. The reason we're talking about things that we learn, it's amazing all the different things we learn from so many different people and so many different life situations. So here's what I want to share with you briefly. Some of you remember this book that came out as a classic book a few years ago. It's called Everything You Need to Know I learned in kindergarten. Anybody remember that? Uh, Robert Fulgram. And here are just four of the highlights from that book. Number one, share everything. Number two, play fair. Here's my favorite one. Number three, warm cookies and milk are good for you. Can I have an amen? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Number four, when you go out into the world, watch for traffic, hold hands, stick together. Isn't that great? That's a great life lesson. My sister-in-law, her name is uh, Sue, and she was a counselor, just retired here a year or two ago, for years and years. She found this little book, um, it's called The Peanut Butter Gang, and these are teachers, these are various ages of kids, who turn in their life lessons. I want to just share a few of those, because we can learn a lot from kindergartens, we can learn a lot from kids. Here's the first one. (laughs) You shouldn't stand in a bucket of water and touch an electric fence just because your brother tells you to. (laughs) That's Melissa, age 13. Here's one. (laughs) Now picture this one. This is great. Uh, This is Morgan, age 11. When your mom is mad at your dad, don't let her brush your hair. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Okay. Here's another good one. Uh, Megan, age 13. When your mother is mad and asks you, Do I look stupid? It's best not to answer her. Good one. Here's a very Christian one. No matter how hard you try, this is Laura, age 13. No matter how hard you try, you can't baptize cats. (laughs) Strange child. Okay. Here's the strangest child, Chris. You shouldn't try and test a nine-volt battery with your braces. Unless you're looking for an easy way to melt all the rubber bands. <laughs> okay. All it, it's amazing in life where we learn our life lessons. And here's what we're gonna to do today we're gonna to talk about a couple of really valuable lessons from first, the first century church, and then we're gonna get just a little bit at, Larry talked about legacy is we read the bulletin it says Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. What does that even mean, Christian Church? So we're going to talk about lessons we learn, first of all, from the first century church, and then what does it even mean when we say Christian church? So here's the first thing. What do we learn from the first first century church? Turn to Acts 2.42. If you've got your Bibles, it's going to come up here. But here's what I love about the first century church is it sets a pattern for us, an incredibly important pattern. Here's what it says. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Let's read that together. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayer. So in other words, after the life and the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and you get to the book of Acts, and he starts this pattern of living life after his death, burial, and resurrection— and these communities began gathering together, there was a pattern. Every time they met, they said, they devoted themselves to these key elements. Now, look at each one of those and see how valuable each one of those are. First of all, to the apostles' teaching. What does that even mean, to the apostles' teaching? We gotta remember, Jesus invested more time with that group of 12 men than any, any party on this earth. I mean if you added up the hours that Jesus invested in those 12 it is it is mind numbing that he invested so much time in so few but here's why he did that he knew that their job was after the burial and resurrection of Christ their job was to spread because of persecution this message of Jesus all over the world so they really needed to be up close and personal with Jesus Christ Those apostles, when they would write down all that they learned, those teachings went into all of these little communities. Now, in the early church, these were more like home communities. And so here's what they talked about. Tell us again, not only how Jesus lived, but what Jesus said, how he lived, how he wants us to live, and then they would take those lessons and they would go out. Now, you'd say, that's just way too simple. You know what? By listening to the words of Jesus... Taking those words and putting them into action turned the world upside down, and it would do the same thing today. If if we just gathered every Sunday, and that's all we did, we said, we're going to talk again about Jesus, what he said, what he did, and how we need to copy that, we would change this community. We would change even the freshmen driving down the wrong one-way streets in Bloomington. We would change the world. We would change the world if we go right back to the teachings of the apostles. You know why? Because you begin to not only listen to the lessons of Christ, you begin to live like Christ, and people begin to see that something's different in your life. You may have heard this really corny quote, uh, but uh, going to church, excuse me, going to McDonald's, no more makes you uh, McDonald's as a hamburger, as a, as a Christian coming to church. You know what I'm saying? You show up at church, and just because you show up on Sunday morning, that doesn't make you a Christian. You just showed up. Now, we're glad you showed up. Trust me, it's amazing. It's it's incredible that you showed up. But you know where the difference is? It's when you leave this place and people see something in you. And they see something in me that's different. What's different? Jesus living through us. It's not learning information. It's putting that information into our lives. They had fellowship. That Greek word is koinonia. It means communion, joint participation, sharing with one another. Years ago, I heard it put it this way. It's like you're in a huge storm and it's fellows in a ship. You're bound one to another. It's going into the world, watching for traffic, holding hands, sticking together. It's fellowship. It's this group that uh, you're going to hear this time and time again broken into smaller groups. One of our missions here on the west side, and just remember these two words, is teams and life groups. We want everybody here eventually to get involved in a team you just heard a team leader say we need more workers we need more people to help out with the welcome we need people to help out with the food we need people to help out more in the prayer room and the list goes on and on and on because it's all about us stepping forward and we've said this time and time again don't come and set come and serve don't just come here and set we want you to serve Here's the other thing we want you to do is we want you eventually to get involved in some type of a life group or a smaller group because when you get out of rows and you get into circles and you begin sharing life with other people, it's those groups that really help one another when you go through the really difficult things in life. Showing up on Sunday morning is great, but it's not enough. You need to keep investing your life in others. And then the breaking of bread. Now, in the Christian tradition... Uh, We do it every week. Uh, How many of you here, we're going to talk about this a little bit later. How many of you did not, let me repeat that, did not grow up in a Christian church, Church of Christ tradition? Raise your hand. Okay. So, probably a third of us, that's not our tradition. We didn't grow up. When I've been in Bible studies before, and uh, Marie and I actually started a young married Bible study years ago, and nobody in that group other than us grew up really in a Christian church tradition, and we had some amazing conversations one of the very first things we talked about, communion. The question was, why do you do that every week? And we're like, because it's critical that we break the bread and we drink the juice. And, you know, I got on my little soapbox. I went to a Bible college. I'm a Christian church guy. I'm like, because the Bible says you take it every week. But God loves you. You know, I was kind of like that, you know. And here's here's what a couple of the couples said. And, man, you talk about conviction. They said, if it's so important... Why is it that the people don't treat it as if it's really important? I got really defensive, like, whoa, 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 whoa. Everybody takes it seriously. They're like, really? A lot of people are tearing their checks. I hear a lot of people talking. In our tradition, we don't take it nearly as often, but I think we take it more seriously. Now, at first, I was like, whoa, you're wrong. And I'm like, wait a minute. Maybe there are times the fact that we take it every week, we don't take it seriously enough. I got to be honest in my own life. There have been times I've taken communion, my mind is a million miles away. With all the distractions, I'm thinking about those really important things that are in my life. Meetings, the Colts have a ball game in a couple of hours. I know none of you struggle with that, and I'm glad. But you know how easy it is to allow our minds and our hearts to stray? And I love what, like Tony, our song this morning, is to just come clean with God and say, I really want to completely focus on what you have done for me. If you grew up in a Christian church, you remember the days that they had the big wooden. Do you remember that? And do you remember it was on that big wooden deal? What did it say? That big table? Do this and remember to me. Okay, so every time we take communion, do this. Remember what Jesus has done for you. It is critical. Prayer. They gathered for prayer. Here's something I want to challenge all of you to do this week is on your phones, or on your iPads, uh, you can find a message years ago in the Praise Gathering, and the title of the message is My House Shall Be Called A House of Prayer, Jim Simbla. If you remember the Praise Gathering years ago, the Gaithers used to do this thing. Thousands of people from all over came to Indianapolis every year, and it was the most listened to and purchased sermon ever at the Praise Gathering. And so I want you to watch it. Go on, and I want you this week, just watch that amazing message. But here's, here it is in a nutshell. Jim Simula said, when Jesus cleared the temple, it's obvious he was pretty upset. Why was he upset? Okay, well, because of the money changers and all these folks are coming in. And as they're coming in, they're blocking them from even getting to the area of worship. So Jesus was infuriated. First of all, you're ripping these people off before they even get in the door. Just like imagine if... If I stood at the front door, let's say Tony Lutz and I stood at the front door and said, "Man, this Sunday's biscuits and gravy—that'll be ten dollars." Okay? And you're like, "Oh, I thought that was free." Okay. Well, here's here's ten dollars. And then you walk and say, "Oh, whoa, whoa! This is Lotto Week. You know, we got the fees have gone up here. Uh, bingo is booming, so we need another five dollars. Five dollars. And then let's say Larry Page stood at the table and said, "Oh, before you take communion, that would be another five dollars." Now, how many of you would come back? No, you say, I'm not doing that. Okay, that's exactly what was happening. And Jesus said, You're not going to rip the people off. And then notice what he said, because this is a, say it with me, house of what? Prayer. That's his point, is these folks, they're not just coming to hear a sermon, because that's not what they did in those days. They came to surrender to Jesus Christ, they came to surrender to God, and they prayed. When we come together, do you know what binds us together? It's what's going on that we don't even hear. It's our prayers. It's praying for one another. It's praying that God will intervene. And when they came together, do you know why prayer was so critical? Now, this may sound over the top, but it's absolute truth. Persecution. When they met together in these homes and they would have a prayer, you know what the fear was? A week later, we may not see each other again. One of us in this group may have been killed because of their beliefs. So when they prayed, they prayed. Think if that was the situation in our lives right now. If persecution was just bearing down on us, would it change our prayers? Colossians 3, 15 and 16, this is something else from the first century church. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom as you sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts. It's interesting, they got together and they they had prayer, they listened to the apostles' teaching, and eventually they started singing spiritual songs together. Now, if I was uh, preaching in a Texas church right now, I would ask this very deep question How many of you got your boots on? Okay? So, how many of you got your boots on? Raise your hand. Anybody here? Good, because I'm going to step on them right now, okay? This is an article I read in Relevant Magazine, and I don't know why, but this there was a paragraph here that at first I'm like, I don't believe that. And I thought, wow. So maybe this will get to you like it, uh, it got to me. The author was Stephen Miller in Relevant Magazine, and he, the top of the article was Worship Wars. So you know it's not going to be a fun, fuzzy article. okay? So here's what he said. The problem in today's church is too often we gather as talent judges as if we're from the voice, and then we're ready to slam the worship button. We are not entitled to make a call of whether or not we feel like worshiping God and building up his church. His glory does not wait for us to like the music before he becomes worthy of worship. Ouch. His point was if you read that whole article was too often the danger is we come to worship and we gauge the worship experience how good was the band? and we, we start going through every part, good voice, not a bad voice, da-da-da, da-da-da, and we become almost like American Idol judges. That's not worship. Worship is when we come in and say, God, I am broken, and every song that I sing, the genre and the style, it doesn't matter. You know what matters? I surrender to you. And honestly, I've been on both sides of this. Uh, I've been to, I've heard folks say, well, why do they sing hymns? For example, at eight o'clock, why do they sing hymns at Shiloh? Those are so old, and I go, okay, wait a minute. Are you reading the lyrics to those hymns? Are you listening? And then you have others, honestly, who say, I can't believe we don't just sing hymns. Why do we have drums? I mean, remember the days when that was a big deal when drums came into church? Am I the only one who remembers that? Okay. okay, so why do we play drums? Why? Well, here's my deal: if God's talented you, He's gifted you to play an instrument. Fill the stage. Fill the stage with voices. But it's not the genre of music, it's the fact that we are worshiping God in our brokenness. That's hard to do because I'll tell you, we're humans. And don't we all have preferences? Am I the only one that has preferences? If I get your phone out and I look at your music, guess what? You have preferences. Some of you like the pipe organ. I'm sorry, but I know some of you really like a pipe organ. That's great. And you know what? Great. Some of you like harps, some of you like drums. Some of you, whatever it is, you know what, that's not the issue. The issue is that when we come together, what we agree on is what? We desperately need Jesus Christ. Can I have an amen for that one? That's what we need. We need Jesus Christ. And when we leave Sunday morning, that's what we leave with is, Jesus Christ is so great in my life. He's given me so much. It isn't about I don't like the style of worship. I just, I thought that was a critical, critical point. Now, I want you to think what it would be like I was thinking about this as I was preparing the message about our church experience on a Sunday morning. Well, Okay. And I want you to think, what would it be like if you showed up at church with somebody who actually was unchurched? Now, here's what I mean. When you hear the phrase unchurched, usually what that means is somebody has gone to church a few times. They either had a negative experience or they went a few times and they, they got hurt at church or something. But they're not truly unchurched, but there are folks, and I guarantee you in Bloomington, that have never been to church. And 25 years ago, I was thinking about that when this happened. I had a high school student, and I was working with him, and he said, well, I don't, I, I don't go to church. Never been to church. I said, well, I mean, I know you probably don't go much, but he goes, no, no, no you don't get it. I've never been in a church. So I said, I'll tell you what. Such and such a Sunday, you meet me at the front doors, and we'll go in and we'll, we'll take in church together. So we did. And as we're sitting there, my mind completely shifted to, I've done this my whole life too, I'm going to sit here as if I've never sat through church, so I can try to experience what he's experiencing. And right away I realized, I don't know if you're aware of this, church is kind of weird. Now, I don't mean that bad. Have you ever thought about it? Where, this is back in the 80s. So we're sitting there, and all of a sudden the guy goes, uh, Do you remember the days you'd have one song leader, organ, piano? I mean, remember those days? It wasn't that long ago. Okay, so that's what we got. And church starts, and the, the, the individual stands up and said, Now turn in your hymnals to page 463. He goes, What's a hymnal? Now, you're trying to explain a hymnal? What's that? It's that book, and there's songs in the, in the book. I'm like stumbling on. He goes, Okay. And he turns to the page, he goes, I don't know this song. Do you know that song? I go, yeah, just hum. You know, so we're humming these songs together. And then we did okay for a while and then communion. What are those guys doing standing up? What's are those trays? And he's, I go, yeah, yeah, they're don't worry about it. It's they're just grape juice. And I remember my pastor and he goes, What's up with the chiclets? I remember him saying, What's up with the chiclets? I'm like, know, they're not chiclets. They they represent the body of Christ and yeah, you're right. This is kind of weird. You know, so anyway, we're going through that. And then there's a sermon and he, he does okay. He goes, now, what do I do now? And I'm like, um, take notes. So anyway, I, I didn't know what to tell him. But afterwards, we had the neatest talk. And I said, um, man, was that weird? He goes, you know what? It, it was kind of weird. And I said, you know what? I, I do remember when I was a kid thinking church was kind of weird. But here's the coolest thing. Man, I want you to come back. Because if you would give your life to Jesus Christ, Every one of those things, eventually, they're going to get a hold of your heart. For example, those songs you don't know now, sooner or later, you're going to learn some of those songs. And there'll be a Sunday, you're going to hear a song, and you don't know why, but you're going to start crying. Because God's done something to your heart because of that song. And you know when they pass that communion, I said, if you give your life to Christ, that's not just taking chiclets and drinking Kool-Aid. I said, it's actually communion. You're in community And it's the great equalizer, because everybody's in the same boat. And I said, that message that might have been hard, you may have understood everything the guy was saying. Eventually, you're going to start learning more and more. See, this thing that at this point seems a little weird, eventually can change your life. And I know right now it doesn't seem like it, but trust me, it can change your life. I truly believe that, that not just a church service, but the community of Christians change people. And I hope you believe the same. Second of all, we need to remember our heritage. Now, here's what I mean by heritage. If you go uh, in the back today, we have a little magazine for you, and it's it's about the Christian church heritage. And Tom and I, when we were talking about this, um, we talked about how important it was that people at times know what is the heritage of the Christian church. Because let's say you're talking to your friends, and you'd say, I belong to a whatever, Christian church. Well, your friends are going to be like, what does that even mean? And again, at Sherwood Oaks, now this morning it's about a third. If we went on the east side and we had people raise their hand, how many of you grew up Christian church, Church of Christ? You know what I think the numbers would be? About 10%. I bet 90% that's not the background. And honestly, that's one thing I like about Sherwood Oaks, because we're all coming together. But here's a couple things that you need to know about the Christian church. First of all, how did it even start? There was a father and son, Thomas Campbell and Alexander, got all the religious training in Scotland, and when they came together, they said, you know, what we've learned is that we need to break away from some of the traditions of denominationalism. So here's what we need to do, and there was a book written on this. We need to start a movement called the Restoration Movement to get back to the basics, to not be bound to a denomination, but actually be independent then there was this amazing move west, and churches started growing all over the place. Now, let me give you an amazing statistic. The movement started out towards Pennsylvania and Kentucky and started moving west. Uh, I got out the church director in Indiana. There are 464 Christian churches in Indiana. Now, you might say, I'm just being honest with you, that is great, and it is, but honestly, sometimes I'm like, Really? Do we need that many churches? And so I think that's a great question. And i got to be honest with you. I think the answer is, as long as people need Jesus Christ, we need more churches. We need people willing to step out and say, we're going to work together. And that's what's happened. There's some great quotes that came out of that movement. And here's two of them that I want to share. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. But in all things, love. Let me say that again and essentials unity, and non-essentials liberty, and all things love. What that simply means, like non-essentials, is freedom. Where the Bible speaks, we need to firmly speak on those things. What Jesus said, what Jesus did, we need to do those things. We need to be sold out to those things. But in areas that the Bible doesn't speak, we have freedom. You can't say, thou shalt not, if the Bible doesn't say that. And then we cannot be, and I love this, a denomination. Now, here's what I mean by that. Here's what a denomination is, and I think this is one thing I love about the word independent. Denomination has a central office. We don't have any part of an offering that we send to a central office. That's a big deal because nobody determines, for example, our missions. We independently decide to support all kinds of missions all over the world. We support what's going on in Vietnam. We support what's going on. With the international friendship because we look at our community in the world and we lay it before God, and no group is saying, You have to do this. I like that. Here's the second thing we don't have a conference where leaders get together and say, Oh, by the way, we just made a doctrinal change, and we're going to spill this down to all the churches. Now, think how dangerous that is. We don't have that. That's why when I say I belong to a non denominational church, I, I love that. Now, is the Christian church perfect? No. You know why? because I'm a part of it, and you're a part of it. We're not perfect, and there are things that are great, and there are times there's some adjustments, but I think it's important that at least you know that there's something behind it. Now, that's why we have, for one for every family, go out, and we'd love to have you learn more, because there's no secrets. That's the thing that I love, the church. It's an amazing, amazing place to be. I had something happen to me. This I, I want to close this morning. That happened to me at the beginning of the week. And it did make me think about the church in a strange way. Um, I was getting ready to head out the door. My neighbor runs over. He's, his name's Rodney. He's all excited. He gives me some peppers. And he hands me his leash. It's, it's a longer leash. I don't need a longer leash. But Rodney thought I did. So he said, you walk your dog every night. You got to use this leash. So he, you know getting the peppers, getting the leash. The dog is a good time. So anyway... I said, you know, Ronnie, that's okay. No, no, you got to use this leash, man. You use a button, and here's what you do, and he gives him all that. And I, oh yeah, I'll take the leash. So I get him all set up, and I'm, I'm giving, him, I'm, I'm like, this is kind of cool. So I'm letting Bandit uh, go out about 20, 30 feet, and I'm bringing him back a little bit, and, and, uh, and then he goes out and he comes back, and then we get to the corner of uh, uh, the property there, and all of a sudden, uh, he just takes off after this neighbor's cat. And pulls the. Le- Have you ever had that exercise? The leash is gone, and now you're you don't know. Do I chase the leash? Do I chase the dog? I'm in the neighbor's yard. You know, this is weird. So I'm running. It's it's dark. Praise the Lord. And I'm I'm reaching for the leash. You know, and you know I'm almost fall my knees and I grab the leash and you know I'm sweating and I, and uh, pulling the, you know almost like a fish and pulling the dog in, you, you know, and and then it hit me. I don't think that was a cat. No, I think that's a skunk. Yeah. So yeah. And he's doing one of these, like, oh, man, you know. So um, now I'm, I'm just not happy, you know. So I, I, I go home. Now, here's the mistake. I know my senses, my smell's not as great as it used to be, at least this is what my family's telling me. And so um, I let the dog inside, and I yell up to my kids, hey, 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 kids, I need help right now. And they come running in. my son said, seriously, Dad, you let the dog inside? Oh, what? You know, so he grabs the dog puts him on the right leash, puts him on a leash, said, I'll start washing him up. You bring the soap. Danielle runs down. She said, okay, you guys do the first coat, and I'm going to go get on the iPad. I'll find exactly what we need to put on the dog. We don't have grape, if, you know, not grape juice. It's tomato juice, but I'll find something else. She whips up this concoction. So we got the dog, first coat. Danielle comes out, puts the second coat on, hose him down. Uh, Marie comes down, you know, I uh, got off the phone. And uh, she's not real excited, but she said, "Okay, I lay down a sleeping bag out in the garage." Da da da. He's not in the house anymore, so you know we get everything moving. Now, after all, and you've all been there. After all of this panic and it settled down, I thought, "Wow, we're pretty good under pressure." I mean, I'm not, but I mean everybody else stepped up in the worst situation. Have you ever noticed, as frustrating as your family is, that under really stressful situations, you look around the room, you're like. I'm glad we've got one another. I think that's what the church is all about. Not the skunk part. Okay, get that out. (laughs) Here's what I think the church is all about. When you're at your worst, you need the church to be at its best. Isn't that true? When you're at your worst, you need to be as a church at your best. We need to do everything we can as those that come here, and that's what, that's why that first century church made such an impact on the world, because they realized there's so many people out here, and they're going through their worst. They're having their worst days, and we need to be at our best, driven by Jesus Christ. So I don't know where you're at this morning. As we sing, as we do every week an invitation. some of you have never taken the first step to accept Jesus Christ. Some of you desperately need a church home, and we'd love to be your church home. So when we say West Side, it's not just like, Go to the West Side. It's cool. We get t shirts. It's like, no, we want to be a family. We're trying to create a home. And if that's where you need to be, then uh, you can come forward and talk to me. Uh, We always have a team that's available in the prayer room right here to my left, and we'd love to do that also. So if you'll stand, we'll sing.